Welcome to another episode of Working Class. I'm your host, Attorney Ryan. I'm here with a very special guest, Gab Judge, aka Anti-Work Girl Boss. And I have been thinking about how to describe you to followers. It, it's so hard. I mean, you're an influencer, obviously. You're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a career educator. Uh, but it seems the more your opponents have tried to put you in a box, the more they've got it wrong in my opinion, at least. So Gab, let's just open it up. What is an anti-work girl boss? And how would you describe yourself to these people? Yeah, I think, well, the the name came to me like immediately. It was just one of those things, you know, when you get that gut feeling and you're like, oh my God, this is it. I think people get so scared of it because it's like the anti-work part. And so I think people Mm -hmm. just think I'm like twiddling my thumbs sitting around, like not doing anything and trying to teach other women to just like not do that. Um, but obviously that's like very far from the truth. And so typically like how I view anti-work girl boss is like kind of exactly what you were just explaining me as is like not putting yourself in a box because corporate America loves to play like the box game. Cause then we can also go into like the corporate ladder game that we can play for 40 years and all of that like fun mm-hmm. stuff. So it's much more about like following what your zone of geniuses are and trying to monetize that instead of trying to find a way that you can monetize in a specific like job role that you're trying to go for at a specific company. Cause while that's like awesome, it's just not a great like long-term play. It sounds like you're saying find ways to make money and build a career around who I already am instead of mm-hmm. trying to shave and mold and force myself and, you know, the square peg into a round hole problem which is what yeah. I think a lot of corporate America is. You have people who willingly abandon their hopes, their dreams, even their talents. I think you called it a zone of genius. Yeah. And, and yeah. people abandon it and they, and they even forget about it just to keep that job so that they can get their health care or get their retirement down the road. Yes, exactly. And I come from like the golden age of the tech industry. So for me, I'm really used to what they're called Henry's. I don't know if you've ever heard this acronym before, but it's high earning, not yet rich. So that means like Mm. people that make whatever, a comfy salary doing a really great tech job, but like they're just doing it for that. And they happen to be like painters outside of work or um, I don't know, Airbnb hosts outside of work. And so I Mm. saw that and I was like, what's with like the segregation of this? Like this can be like molded together. And so I try to normalize conversations around that because what I was experiencing when I was still like, quote unquote, side hustling while in a nine to five is there's this like, and you know more about like the legal aspects to like, sometimes you literally just can't side hustle or you're at a job because of your employee agreement. But there's a lot of cases where that's not the case, but we're just not really allowed to talk about what we're doing outside of work. Um, and I always felt like really weird about it. I always felt like, oh, if I tell them I have other stuff going on, um, you know, maybe I'm like the first person that's going to get laid off and like a laid off. Like being someone with a life outside of work is a hazard. Because, yeah, I was like, and we see yeah. a lot of it. We see uh, there's this weird culture, and we see it a lot on you know these Wall Street Journal opinion articles. We see it a lot on LinkedIn, and that can be a whole podcast on itself, where people are trying to declare their loyalty to a company. Like, yes. I'm so loyal, I'm going to give up my weekends. I'm going to give up holidays. I'm going to give up my 20s. You only get to live your 20s once, folks. Take it from someone whose 20s are gone. Uh, you only get it once. There's no refunds. There's no take backs. Um, and candidly, as a, as I'll be 34 next month, I, I will say to anyone listening, I sincerely wish I did not work as hard in my 20s because I mm. will not get those years back. And yeah, there's something to be said that I built some character along the way. And I'm grateful for that. But I cannot get those memories back. I cannot get those weddings, birthdays, trips with family, trips with friends. I can't get that back. 
So, you know, I think, and, and tell me what you think about this, Gab. I think before you commit yourself to a grind mode where you're going to work 10, 12 hour days, six days a week for a company, I think you really need to have an honest talk with yourself about what you are trying to accomplish with that. Like, what is the yeah. gain you're trying to get? I mean, it, it seems that some people have been almost brainwashed into thinking that that grind is valuable in itself. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, and you, I even think about the people that have such a big following that talk about this, you know, like Gary V, like when he came up, his messaging was like, I didn't have my twenties. Like I was in a liquor store with my dad, all that stuff. But now if you see him talk in his forties, I think he's late forties now, mm -hmm. he's talking about like how we should be living in there in you know, in our twenties and stuff like that. And so I think that go boils down to, to, um, Everyone teaches us how to like land that job and get excited about that dream job. But there's no conversation mm -hmm. of like the why behind it or where you're actually trying to go besides this whole, like what you were just referring to, like this company loyalty performance. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you get that dream job, but you have to think of why you want that dream job too. Yeah. You know, I really like this concept of zone of genius you brought up. So actually, before we go into the next thing, can you tell us what that is? Like, what is a zone of genius? So a, a zone of genius, I mean, I didn't, I didn't coin it. There's definitely like an actual term out there, but I would just, it's like a, it's categories or, or skills or things that you are good at that is low lift for you. Like, it's just, you're just naturally good at that, whether it be your personality, wow. your upbringing, your values, something like that. Something you're really good at that you're just naturally good at. Uh, mm -hmm. I like that because, and you know, what's a shame is there's a lot of people who really don't think they're good at anything. And yeah. I think, well, actually, before I spout my big stupid opinion, why do you think that is? I mean, first of all, do you think it's true? Let's not beg the question. Do you think it's true? There's a lot of people who feel that they're not good at anything uh, and never will be. And if it is true, why do you think that happens? Yeah, I definitely think a lot of people don't understand what they even like or what they are besides, um, you know, vocation or whatever. And I, I do think that that comes down to, well, one, like I'm, I'm a Gen Z. So I was basically raised with like Snapchat, Instagram, all these things where I was able to see what everyone else is doing. And so I think we play this comparison game and it's only getting crazier mm. as technology is getting more and more implemented into the, to these younger generations. But there's like this there's FOMO. And then there's also like this comparison game where you're looking at other people and you're going, well, they they're traveling right now for soccer and I'm only staying here for soccer right now. Like maybe I'm not good at soccer. And then that carries on wow. throughout your life. So to use your example, it's we have unprecedented looks into other people's lives. I remember when yeah. I was in like elementary school, middle school, I would play a game in my head. And I was be like, I wonder, you know, I'm going home to my house. I'm going to do my homework in this. I wonder what other people are doing. There was a time not too long ago where you would wonder what people were doing. And there was no way for you to know unless you called right. them on the phone. Now, if I wonder, I pull out this little thing and I just hit my stories and I can just see, you know, oh, you know, the Gab's at the mall. Drew's at a restaurant, you know, um, you, you would just wonder. And now why does that matter? Because. It should be enough that you play soccer and you enjoy it and it comes naturally to you. But it sounds like you're saying there's this comparison game that's a relatively new thing where we have so much access into what other people are doing that no matter what you're doing, it's always going to feel less than. It's always going to feel like other people are beating you or better than you. I mean, is that is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, I think so. I don't think that that, I think, I think what we're talking about is a part of the human condition. Cause if you look back to even times before we even had like sophisticated, uh, societies that we have today, if you think back to like, uh, like aristocratic societies and stuff, there were still people that, you know, felt like they were born into like something, or they still felt like they should like go conquer like a county to like be important. Like, I don't think that that part, like our Alexander the Great had to conquer the world to feel important. Yeah, I just, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw the Napoleon movie and like, that guy is so freaking hilarious. But, you know, for me, it's like, I think we all want to be individual in something and especially in America, individuality is like so celebrated um, that I think that it's like this pressure. And then you're looking at like the, the new forms of like what would be like an Alexander the Great in my generation right now is like Forbes 30 under 30. Right. So I'm like looking at all those people and going like, oh, well, they're on this list and I'm not. Or, you know, like that could be like a very popular thing. that The, the Forbes 30 under 30 is so is whole, yeah. interesting uh, because yeah. cause here's the thing. The, the joke is that it's a preview for tomorrow's big fraud cases, because how yeah. many 30 under 30s? I mean, FTC, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, of course, Elizabeth Holmes, I think, was uh, Forbes 30 under 30. It's almost a cursed list. Now, yeah. I have to do a caveat to that because one of my all time favorite people on the planet is Hannah Williams at Salary Transparent Street. We're friends. She's mm-hmm. been on the show and yeah. she was on the list. So maybe she represents a turning point because I got to tell you, I've talked to her. I've had a lot of time with her. She is a thousand percent the real deal. She is real. Um, but, you know, I see you and I think that you're someone who could be on that list. But is it possible that your brand is so antithetical to everything Forbes stands for that it's just not going to happen? So, you know, I've actually turned down Forbes stories before because I didn't like how the story was going to go. I didn't think that really? it, um, yeah, I don't, I didn't think that it, it pictured lazy girl jobs in that sense. I think that it like kind of in some rants that I've had in the past where it's like, if we take these anti-work concepts or these lazy girl job concepts that I'm talking about, and then we try to boil them back down to this like corporate jargon, it's like an oxymoron like it's just defeating the purpose it's it's contradicting because what i'm talking about is like not pandering to employers but like because of the the nature of forbes sometimes that is what they have to do still so you know it's like thinking about that and um but i've also been like mentioned on forbes too and in some really great articles and i'm very very appreciative of those journalists as well so it's a give and take i've actually like I want to, this is going to be pretty crazy, but a year and a half ago or so, I want to say I was actually pitched by a media company to pay to get on 30 under 30. Really? You know, I I get never 30 under 30. I don't think I meet the qualifications, but um, (laughs) the, I've gotten a lot of like pay to be in Forbes pay to be in yeah. wall street journal pay to be in this which i pay to be an entrepreneur magazine which i would never do uh, people do it though there's a mm. market it, it might be keeping these freaking magazines in business to be honest why do yeah. people do that why what is the point if it's not real because let's be honest if you pay for it in my opinion this i guess my first hot take of the night if you're paying for an award it doesn't fucking count It's the same Mm -hmm. reason if you look at my wall, you're not going to see any super lawyer bullshit back here. Do you know why? Because it's not a real award. You pay for it. You pay to be a super lawyer. So why? And people say, oh, the clients like to see it. The clients don't know the difference. The only award that I have up here that means anything to me is the YouTube plaque because that was really hard to get. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, that's just my opinion. What's the purpose of paying for these things? 
I feel the same way, but I think it's because the greater public, the greater audience still doesn't share that value. So I think because of that, there's still this, this level of glorification in it to where it's important. And I mean, like we're, we're talking about it right now. So I feel like that speaks for itself. Like it still has some type of like weight to it. I don't know how else to, to describe that. If you're on the cover of Forbes because you have done something truly interesting that caught their attention and they wrote an op-ed on you, um, mm-hmm. I think that's cool. I, I would take notice. I'd, if that happened to you, I'd be very proud. And I think that's really exciting and good for them breaking the mold and going with anti-work girl boss pushing lazy jobs. That's a really cool take that you guys are doing. But if mm-hmm. it's just some loser promoting the next NFT scam who paid to go on there to try to hustle people or whatever it is. I, I'm I'm gonna look at it sideways because if you're paying for that, you're not being authentic. That's just my opinion. Yeah. It is my opinion that if you're paying for an op-ed, it's it's not authentic. And and I think inauthenticity is a pretty low vibration. Yeah, yeah. I've I've never paid for any media like mm-hmm. with the whole lazy girl job stuff and all that. So I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's um paid media. It it's almost like um. I don't know when people give like kudos to each other back and forth on LinkedIn and just like have this like brag fest together. I don't know. I just, I'm not super into it. Yeah. Well, there's something to be said for endorsing each other. There's definitely, there's something to be said for, Hey, we're all in a group. We're all, you know, creators or entrepreneurs and we want to help promote each other's brands. So, you know, each of us is going to write a blog and we're going to hype each other up. I think that's beautiful. I think that's cool. I think that's a good But you didn't pay them, right? So it's like a true testimonial. It's real. It's community because I think the purpose of, ooh, look, I was in Forbes should be, hey, look, I'm I'm doing something noteworthy. I'm a leader in my field. I'm respected by my peers. I think that's what you're trying to show. Isn't it better to actually win the respect of your peers first and be the real deal? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. And it's like... Going back to the Forbes thing too, it's like they purposely didn't mention me for a long time. And so that mm. was like fine, right? Like that's part of the the PR game sometimes. So I totally get it. And they went live with this like report with McKinsey in October. I was like in Miami. Um, I'm about to yeah. go to a podcast and I saw like the alert to it. And um, dude, they were like, McKinsey says lazy girl jobs are out. And they said like, uh, women these days actually just want flexible careers. And I was like, you just said what lazy girl jobs is like some of it. Sometimes with media, I just get super frustrated. And, you know, I think some people hold back on it because they don't want to like rub them the wrong way or like lose that connection. But I truly don't think that um, the media will, won't stop talking about the lazy girl job stuff, at least for now, because it's just so maybe it will be normalized and super successful. We'll never have to talk about it again. Um, but for now, it's like it's I just feel like it's such a hot topic that because I'm not paying anyone to do it and it's happening, I want to be like honest with people sometimes about like what truly it's like to be like mentioned. Like sometimes it just it sucks. Sometimes it's awesome, too. But there, mm-hmm. there's a lot behind it that's like not super fun sometimes. I, I, I can empathize with that. I really can. Uh, I, I, I got two questions for you. First, can we just yeah. establish what is a lazy girl job? Lazy girl job is really just an option or an alternative that you can have in your career toolbox, right? So looking at your lazy girl job mindset is really like prioritizing work-life balance instead of looking at this, how can I maximize my day from like 
I don't know, 10 hours a day and climb this corporate ladder, right? Like that's also an alternative that you can have that's available. I think sometimes people look at what I'm saying and they're like, she's just teaching people like not to not work for, or to only work for two hours a day. And like, there's a, like, there's a duality to it. Right. But it's really looking at it and saying like, okay, this job maybe isn't my whole self-esteem. This job maybe isn't like everything about me. And so like when I decenter those values away from me, what does my relationship of work look like? When we take away, uh, what values specifically might that be that you're trying like the tradi- to remove? Yeah, yeah. Like the traditional values of like people pleasing. So, like I come from like a very female perspective, obviously. So it's like, for us, it's like, it can look like people pleasing. It can look like not speaking our mind in a meeting. It can look like, um, allowing people to say no to us and in, in the name of like the economy is too bad. We can't give you this raise. We can't do this promotion. So like looking at job hopping instead, it's like looking at all these like traditional norms that we're typically taught and questioning Mm -hmm. them. I think questioning traditional norms is important. Uh, I definitely do agree that there is this, it's an unequal pressure for women in the corporate space to be more accommodating. And tell me if you've seen differently or if you disagree, but it's been my experience as a workers' rights attorney that we very much have a rigid two-class system with the genders, where the men Mm -hmm. are given a lot more leeway, their mistakes are seen as bold failures in the name of innovation, or kind of cute. They're they're alternatively treated like a conqueror who failed once, or a little boy, and ah, he's such a rascal. Uh, Whereas a a woman is more likely to get scolded in a more aggressive way. It seems the consequences seem to be heavier generally in the corporate space for women than men. So more consequences, and also women are expected to be more accommodating. I see this Mm -hmm. in my sex harassment cases especially, just, oh, that's just how he is. Oh, that's just the way they are. Uh, and if a woman speaks up and is aggressive, it's because she's a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- why do we have this two-class system? Women have only been in the workforce for not that long, right? So I think I think there's that part too where, and I also don't want to come in, come in and you know, sound like a child that's like not thinking about the future. Like we have come a really long way. Um, so I think that that's super awesome too. Like we're not just, you know what though? Like, honestly, Ryan, like I remember in like 2019, my boss was a woman mm-hmm. and we were in an open concept building. And so we didn't have a receptionist. It was, it was very set up to like, uh, the office, like the American office it looked very similar to like that setup. Mm-hmm. And she was just, she wasn't even like close, but like the, I can't remember. It was like a post op. It was like, whatever. He worked for the post office or something. He like walks up to her thinking like she's a receptionist, you know? So it's like, which is crazy. Right. And I, and she didn't really catch on to it. And I was like, I like, I wasn't trying to like start anything with her, but I was like, I just need to like talk about this with you. Like, just so that Mm. like, we're both witnessing the same thing. Um, And that was like pretty big. So I don't know, that kind of popped up as I was talking about, like, we've gone a long way and also like not at the same time. And I think it's okay to like hold both of those truths. I I don't think that that's very um, like extremist of me to to say. It's funny you say that because media has a thousand percent painted you as an extremist. (laughs) I mean, no, really, I saw the article. It was Carol, Carol something. You did a call out video. She did an article about how your message is bad and that she doesn't blame you how kind of her, but she blames your parents. Do you remember that article? Oh, it was uh, Susie Welch on MSNBC. Oh, Susan Welch. I got, I got the yeah. name wrong. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of makes me think of that where it you're right. There should be just some basic 
just basic rules out there. A job should not be an all-consuming thing that takes away all of your moments with your family, all of your irreplaceable moments on this planet. It shouldn't yeah. have that high of a price tag. And if it does have that kind of price tag, it better fucking pay well. It better pay well. The, mm -hmm. the, the absolute balls of an employer to demand that kind of loyalty while not giving you enough to pay rent. Absolutely unacceptable. But then also for them to turn around and say, hey, here's someone who's trying to break free of the matrix, so to speak, and say, hey, we can have enough money to live. We're not asking for BMWs and Prada and mansions. We're just asking for enough to live. Tell yeah. me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. And we shouldn't have to break our backs to get it. And they want to paint you as an extremist. I mean, who have been your biggest opponents so far? Yeah, I would say it's probably, you know, people like like the woman that you just referred to. It's it's typically these media conglomerates that have their own agenda, right? So like MSNBC, Fox News, um, where it's like they have their own agenda that they, you know, like it's everyone has their own stick, you know? So it's like I, I respect the game of like, they have to paint their own narrative and they need mm -hmm. to like make the eyeball quota for the day. So I totally get it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I get that a lot. And like, I get this whole, like, there's a lot, like, there's a lot of criticisms that I've gotten. And I think like, sometimes my brain these days doesn't let me go like touch them anymore because it does get really crazy in my own brain. Because I think one of going back to like zone of geniuses, like I think one of mine is, um, I'm really good at like doubting, but like not being cynical, if that makes sense. Like I'm just very good at, at being able to look at something and like find the pattern of like why this is a truth. And then like looking at the future and being like, what will that look like? But that's something that I can do like very quickly. And so I've like obviously made a career out of that to a certain extent. And so it's like, mm -hmm. sometimes when I look at the criticism about me, my brain can kind of go in overdrive and be like, well, where did they come with that? you know, like what words, what words, the truth and that. And then it starts to get like kind of crazy in my head, like mad yeah, science. It hurts almost. more when there's a kernel of truth to it, because yeah. with a few exceptions, most criticisms come from some kernel of truth. There is some yeah. kernel of truth, I think in most. Now there's some that are outrageous. I've had people hop on my page who don't like me and they've said, Oh, did you know, Ryan is, you know, he's getting convicted of, you know, rape or something like that absolutely untrue just some troll thought what's the worst thing i can accuse someone of to hurt their feelings yeah. and that's where they went um but apart from that it sounds like you've almost detached yourself from the emotion of the criticism i can't believe that's a hundred percent though i mean you're a human being it has to affect you in some way yeah it but it's also too like because i I'm like, I do really value some of the lazy girl job stuff, like even being an entrepreneur. So sometimes I have to look at it and go like, you know, anti-work girl boss is a hat of many other things that I wear in life. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I have to leave it at the, at the door sometimes because it's, it, it is weird when I see, you know, strangers with, with fancy cameras and production studios, like talk about me like they know me and like pull up all my TikToks, you know, and I forget that like I literally put myself out there all day and like literally anyone can watch them, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, like they're painting a whole narrative about my personality and they've never met me and I've never heard of them. Like this is super crazy. Yeah. Let, let's drill down on this because um that that whole it's so patronizing the whole oh I blame the parents. The parents yeah. failed them. That yeah. bothers me for a few reasons. Uh the first reason it bothers me is it's dismissing your adulthood. Yeah. You're, how old are you? I'm 26. You're 20. All right, you're a grown-up. 
I mean, yeah. you've been able to drink for years. So you're a grown up at 26. Now, are you a very experienced grown up? That's up for debate. I'm yeah. I'm at 33. So what is that? I'm seven years ahead of you. I'm still an inexperienced grown up. Um, yeah. You know, but but regardless, we're still both grown ups. So to act like our parents have failed us when this is our level of adulthood is extremely patronizing. Yeah. Uh, I I don't care for that approach. Um, and I also don't like this presumption that what you're talking about is a bad thing that she's immediately saying, oh, I blame the parents and not, hey, good job, parents. She's implying both one, she's diminishing your adulthood, but also attacking the idea. And I'm having a really hard time understanding why anyone has a problem with a lazy girl job. Maybe it's the name. Maybe we work on the branding. But what is so wrong about being a lazy girl? What is so wrong about quiet quitting? What is it yeah. that these people are so offended by? Mm, because of their belief system. So they feel like their belief system is attacked when I talk. So because Gen Z is a little bit more like work flexible or, or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. Um, and millennials carve that way too. I mean, work-life balance is not, you know, a, a new concept. This has been talked about in the workplace for quite a long time. You know, I, I think that I... I think sometimes in order to look at a different alternative or a different way of, of living, you kind of have to also look at yourself in the mirror. And so I think sometimes people get triggered because they're like, well, I've been working and putting in my keep for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Like, why does she get to just like choose when she's working? So Do I think, think it's that. that. Oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. I want you to finish your thoughts. Sorry, Gab. It's all good. And I was just going to say, like, with the millennial concept, like millennials were also painted as lazy. Like, I'm still like, old enough to remember that that was a headline 10 years ago. So this is not like a new concept. And I was very prepared for that walking into the work that I do. Yeah. Today. The irony that I still remember, I used to subscribe to Newsweek in high school and I would get it every week. And I remember the articles that came out and it called generation the most entitled generation in history and basically said, we're spoiled brats. We had it too easy. Yeah. We didn't have it as hard as they did. A couple of things. Uh, the irony of the generation who the consumer toy industry was invented for, it literally did not exist before my parents' generation. It was made for them uh, saying that we were entitled and had it too easy. I find that a little offensive. Um, but also, it's not new. It's not new. Even Socrates bemoaned the laziness and entitlement of the young generation in ancient Greece. It seems that uh, older generations throughout history, it seems for the thousands of years, have looked down at the coming up generation and thought, wow, I had it so much harder than them. I had to work harder than them. These generations, they don't value the things I value, and it's a threat to our society. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you have any theories on why that is? Like, why is this a consistent theme in history? Um, I have not as much experience of having a fully grown brain um, yet because I don't know. I think women's brains stop growing at like 25, but I would say like around when I hit, to, I'll be 27 in a few months. Like, I, I, I can feel myself having a little bit more resistance to change than than like a few years ago. So I can I can kind of start to empathize with that of like this begrudgence, if that's a word of like, oh, uh, like that's another thing that I have to learn. Yeah. Okay. You're saying that you think it might be a resistance to change and you yeah. felt some of that in yourself as you're growing up? Yeah, yeah. Like I can start to empathize with that for sure. Um, and especially because TikTok works so quickly. Like if you're not on that app and in two days, you feel like a grandma. I'm just like, I don't even know what these kids are, are saying anymore. 
<laughs> I, 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 I try to keep up, you know, I try to keep yeah. up with the lingo because if people in my office start saying Riz and things like that, I, I like to have an awareness of what's, what's right. being said, <laughs> but you know, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is just change and maybe it is changing values because I think we all know the trope that there was a time in this country. I want to say forties, fifties, sixties was sort of this golden age of collective bargaining and union labor. And also this was a period of time where CEO compensation on average was only Mm -hmm. only 20 times more than the average worker. Um, only. Yeah. Which you got to think about how insane that number actually is. And it's absolutely ballooned out of control since then. Uh, and the corporate tax rate was higher too. You know, we're not saying that we want to take 80% of every dollar Apple earns. We're saying that at one level, we want to take 10%. At the next level, we take 15%, 20%. So there's a top level where we would take 80%. Apple would still keep the lion's share of all their profits. But I think what happened in this country was... 40s, 50s, 60s, it was beaten to our parents' head, be a company man or a company gal. Go work at Mm -hmm. the plant. Go work at the office. Put in your time. And there's these traditions that just don't exist anymore. Back then, when you retired from a company, it was traditional that your employer would gift you a gold watch and a pension. I don't know if you've seen that trope before, maybe in movies. It doesn't exist anymore, so it'd be natural people forgot about it. But there'll be some movies you see where someone's presented with a gold watch and they're offended by it because they're actually being asked to retire is what it means. Um, Mm. But all that to say, I think our parents grew up, my parents did, where you put in your time at a company and it did pay off. You just had to suck it up. You had to start off getting your ass kicked in the bullpen and then it paid off over time. And I think I want to believe that there is some altruism in their criticism of us, of you. Um, they maybe deep down, they want what's best for you. And they think that you're irreversibly ruining your life by not committing to a company. I don't know. I'm theorizing. Yeah. here. I'm not I'm not a historian. I'm a guy with a Google account. But this <laughs> is I mean, what do you think? I mean, why does why does the idea that, hey, I'm not going to be in the corporate grind anymore. And you know what? I don't think I'm going to work eight hours a day for someone else either. Why is that so offensive and threatening to another person? Because it's your choice. I really enjoy that you brought up that actual perspective because it actually helps me kind of forgive and move on from some of it in a, in a weird way. It's almost like healing to hear of like, oh, well, like maybe they're, they're, it's just a weird twisted way that they're trying to like protect me and whoever I'm like influencing. Um, so that, I like that. I would say, um, I don't know. And it's, it's funny that you bring that up too, that it's like almost a, like a fear that I'm, I'm trashing this because when I was on 60 minutes, Australia, that's exactly what the commentator said. They were like, she threw away like her, her corporate career to like do this. Like the, just the, the choice of words was, was very aligned with what you're pointing out. Um, I think getting the historical context that you did is so key in this because the, the reward is not there like it used to be. And that's what I'm trying to show everyone is that, and I'll go down the line more as, as my messaging and, and what I'm doing matures of like actually showing like some really cool data out there um, mm-hmm. of like why this is literally like chasing this nine to five and staying loyal for 40 years, like literally just won't work anymore. Um, but for now, I just kind of rant on TikTok. But I mean, like, 
how would I say this? I just, my biggest fear for myself that I try to be really loud about with my community is like waking up at 65 and having like nothing to my name. I'm exhausted from what I did and I have no Mm -hmm. idea who I am. Like that's what I'm just so worried about with millennials and Gen Z specifically, because I'm not really worried about Gen X and baby boomers. They've been taken care of pretty well um, by employers, but we're just in such a new form of like wealth distribution right now that like we ought to have a conversation about like where our precious time is going. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd push back a little bit. I think a good portion of boomers and Gen X are okay. Uh, I think there's a, a silent suffering uh, proportion of them. I don't know if it's a majority where I think what's happened is over the past 50 years, there was this idea in American politics. And by the way, the people who made these decisions 50 years ago are still in freaking Congress. They refuse to retire. Um, <laughs> but what they've done is they've, they had this bizarre idea called trickle down economics where they really okay. thought that if we did not regulate private industry, if we did not enforce basic labor standards like our friends in Europe do, and if we just had the lowest taxes in the world, lowest corporate taxes, and we're competing with other countries on the, it's cheaper to do business here and all that, they really thought that that would make more jobs. Yeah. And I think they made a few mistakes. Mistake number one, more jobs doesn't really matter. Um, And that's going to shock a lot of people. I don't really give a flying fuck how many jobs a pre- like every time a president goes on like oh we made 200,000 jobs like i don't fucking care what do those jobs pay because mm-hmm. if they're sub minimum wage jobs in agriculture that doesn't fucking count in my opinion i want to see quality jobs i want to see good paying jobs where a person working 40 hours a week can afford a one bedroom one bath in their city and they can eat every day and they can have medical care i'm not asking for a lot and i think that that's one thing that your opponents are missing I think they think they're saying that you're trying to tell people don't work hard and have the government for you give give you free money. That's what they think we're asking for, even though we've told them many times that's not what it is. So the the number of jobs, also this trickle down theory that came up where they were like, well, if we just cut taxes for billionaires and employers, more jobs and better jobs will come. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Mm. Demand makes more jobs. If if consumers, not billionaires, but if many, many consumers have more money, they go out to eat more, they get haircuts, they buy new cars, they buy a toaster, they they do they engage in daily commerce. That creates demand, that creates more jobs. Now, what we've done is we've cut taxes so much for these corporations that they're yeah. just doing shareholder profits. What happened in the past 50 years was the American consumer, which used to be the engine of our economy that made us the strongest economy in the world. And we are faltering. And there's a reason we're faltering. We took out the most important part of our engine. This country is now built on the shareholder class. And shareholders, contrary to what my friends on the right say, are not are not um, retail investors. It's not you and me. It's not employees who own stock. It is by and large institutional investment firms, hedge funds, things like BlackRock and Mm -hmm. banks like that. And what happened is we have an economy that is so dependent on the shareholder class that they have forgotten where demand comes from. They have forgotten where wealth comes from. Now, that was a very long tangent to say. Um, I think that people who say, you need to commit to a company and work really hard and it's going to pay off. They are giving you advice from a totally different economy. They're giving you advice from a true free market economy 
with union labor where the consumer was the target of these companies, making sure you had the best product at the best price to beat your competition. Now it's go get some capital from BlackRock, buy out your competition, lay off all the workers, pay your executives a fat bonus, raise your dividends, and then uh, triple your prices because there's no competition anymore. I mean, it's, it's damning to say, have I mischaracterized the American economy as it is today? Please be harsh on me. No, I, I think that you you summed it up in a way better way than I can, because typically what I do is I go down the rabbit hole of like the housing market. I think the housing market is super important. And so a lot of times when I'm working with my community as a whole, a lot of when I talk about any type of wealth creation conversations, I do get a lot of pushback and people will go, oh, well, I don't want to be a billionaire. I don't want to be a millionaire. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm, I know that you don't want to worry about money though. Like I know that, like, that's just in us. Mm -hmm. Like you're working to not worry about money. I know that for a fact, all of us are, let's, there's no individuality in that. So it's like looking at single family homes, like that used to be a part of the American dream. That used to be the whole promise. Like you go to, you go Mm -hmm. to a fancy college, you get the nine to five, and then you can qualify for a house and you can start a family and that whole thing. Who the heck is like starting a family these days, I don't know the numbers, but we're getting older and older to start a family. Like it's just getting crazier and crazier. And so it's not hard. that that needs to yeah. be like a, yeah, not that that needs to be like a peak of, uh, especially as a woman, it doesn't need to be like the peak of your existence and stuff like that. But it's like, just looking at that on a business standpoint, sometimes what I want to ask, like these hedge funds, it's just like, so, so what do you want us to be? Like just these utopian people that are like, sitting around and like to have no family and sitting in like a one bedroom apartment. Like it's owned by Grant Cardone. Yeah. No, don't even get me started on Grant Cardone. Oh my God. What a goofball. What a goofball. Um, Yeah. No, I don't think here's the thing that I've had with uh, capitalists. I guess I'll call them a capitalist. It's not fair to put someone in a box, but you know, capitalism, we want to maximize capital. We want to maximize shareholder value. Fine. Because that, by the way, that's what capitalism is. There's a confusion among young Republicans. They think capitalism is a free market, and it is not. A free market is a free market. A free market is a free market. That's where there's no government set like, oh, you can do this, you can do that. Like we don't have central, a centrally planned economy. We have businesses competing. That's a free market. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is different. Capitalism aims to maximize capital. And its ultimate goal is to create as much shareholder value as possible. And And what I've had people say in my comments is they think, well, isn't it natural that if you make the best product at the best price and take care of your people, you will beat the competition and make more capital? No, you're a naive, you're, you're being naive, you're being naive. That's not how you create shareholder value. You do what I did before. You raise capital from an investor, you buy out your competition, you lay off their workers, you liquidate your assets, you increase your dividend, then you triple your prices for less product because fuck the consumer, greed is good. That is capitalism. How many different ways do I have to say it? And we can still have a democracy. We can still have a free market. We can still even have a stock market in capitalism. I don't have a problem with the stock market. I have a problem with people getting less for their money to a point where we now have a quiet revolution. And mm-hmm. I see you as one of the leaders of that quiet revolution where you've been, you. you're fed up. I yeah. don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm 
getting too radicalized. Um, but you know, it, it's frustrating to see this. We're not that far apart. We're seven years apart. Uh, we're it's a blink the difference in age between you and I. But mm -hmm. I look at you and I feel like you've gotten an even worse deal than I did. I sit here yeah. and I own a business with 10 employees and I'm doing okay. Um, it was hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. But I'm willing to admit that if you worked as hard as I did, it's possible you wouldn't get the result I got because your economy is harder than mine was. Mm. I guess I don't think that way because like, what does that benefit? Um, you know what I mean? Like if I, if it I doesn't benefit itself, anyone. Well, yeah. yeah, you're right. Comparison's the thief of all joy. I think my yeah. frustration is the people who look at you and say anti-work girl boss is bad. Lazy girl jobs is bad. Um, mm -hmm. Part of me wonders, okay, are they trying to just take care of you? Or is, uh, do they just really think that it would be best for you to go work in a corporation? There's another part of me where people think that you're attacking our economic engine and you want communism or something. And that's where I'm trying yeah. to explain to people, like, you got to understand, if you do not protect your consumer class, if you don't protect your working class, you don't have an economy because there comes a point where the hedge funds aren't creating anything. They're just um. placing bets. Please, that's basic economy. Like, I, that's how I feel about it too. Is like it furthering ignoring the middle class that we've been so cheekily doing over the past, like, pretty aggressively. I'd say the past ten years, but it didn't start ten mm -hmm. years ago. But you can really see it in like the two thousands. It's just so ignorant. And so, like, that's always what I want to have conversations with. Like, I've pitched like multiple times to be able to have some type of like fortune 500 like panel with like me and a ceo and being able to like ask these types of questions and not really to like put them on the hot seat it's just because there's no other way to have conversations like this it's not like a lot of gen z people out there get to have conversations with people like this mm -hmm. and vice versa and so like i've always been like super interested in that but yeah i don't i don't know it is a really crazy concept and so i think I am in a way, this is so hard because I don't want to get like clipped by some random weirdo on the internet, but like I it's do. It's going to happen either way. If I see I'm it, I'll hop in it. the comments and I'll, I'll defend you as best I can. But no, don't worry about the clips. People are going to be dishonest about our message either way. I'm, yeah. I'm apparently some anti-American communist and so are you. It, that's not how we are. I think our criticisms of our system are patriotic, but that's a whole other thing. Please, right. what are you going to say? Don't worry about the clip. Well, it's like I am really creating a revolution, but it's more of an ideological kind of silent, like you were saying, revolution than it is mm -hmm. like an active. Because what the like what the hell am I going to go do? Stand at the White House and be like, I don't, we don't want to work like this anymore. Like I don't know if that's really going to like change anything. The way that we used mm -hmm. to be able to like march for for other rights, and it still works for for Pride Week and all and Pride Month and all of that. Like there's still some really great um, mm -hmm. political demonstrations that can happen, but for something that's so like deeply systemic and also like cultural like work is like so weird in america where it's like i always say this like the first or second question that when you meet someone new is like what do you do for work and it's a way that we like file each other in this like cabinet of like casts almost like social mm. casts and so it's like like work is emotional work is cultural here work is everything and so it's like when i'm talking about work i'm also talking about people's money people's relationship with money how they feel about themselves, what price tag they're going to put on themselves in the market. Like it's a really loaded topic. And I think also with me being so young looking as young looking, especially, I think people look at it and go like, well, they either want to dismiss me. They either want to feel bad for me or like alienate me or like say that I'm 
a communist or a socialist. Like I'm very much kind of what you're saying. Like I like to say that I'm pro-capitalist, but in this sense, because you pointed out the difference here, like I'm very free market. Like I'm really not trying to make anyone like change their their political ideologies to something else in America. Mm-hmm. It's just looking at like, and also too, it's like what I want to say to the CEOs is like, all I'm talking about is like staying in your own zone of geniuses, discerning why you're actually doing things in life and working efficiently. I would say most successful people do that today. Like, I don't think that that's really that profound of what I'm saying. I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, I want to hear more of your story. I'll briefly share mine. Uh, People know I was a firefighter before I was a lawyer and there were these laws. Oh, you didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Uh Yeah. I was a firefighter for a little over four years. Uh, That was all I ever wanted to be when I was a little kid. I wanted to be a firefighter. It was, it was known in high school. I was the kid who knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a firefighter. I I was a a junior Mm -hmm. firefighter and explorer scout with the local fire station. And uh, I was weekends, I was running calls and, and getting into it. So really I had exposure to the fire service for probably 10 years. I mean, cause really the day I turned 14, I, I signed up and did the junior firefighting program, but, um, it came to a point where I loved that job gap. I still do. I tell anyone who comes on the show, I think about it every day. I dream about it most nights. I sincerely miss being a firefighter and my heart breaks that I can't live life twice. Um, yeah. But the truth is, and tell me what you think about this, because I think that this is a message I wish I had heard from you 13 years ago. The truth is firefighting as a career started taking a big toll on me. There was a very high price to being a firefighter. I had no control over my life. I missed so many weddings and birthdays because I was wildland fire. We weren't doing the Kelly shift where you're on one off one or anything like that. I would be on 18 days straight, get two days off beyond for another week. Like I had no time. I was making 1650 an hour, which to some people may sound like a lot of money, but in San Diego, even back then, really rough, really rough trying to survive on that, which sucks. It, It was tough. Um, and between the toll it was taking with no, no, I had no life outside of that fire station. I was single and trying to date. Could, I couldn't go on any dates. I couldn't even meet anybody. Mm-hmm. I couldn't meet anybody. I was losing touch with my friends. I got a reputation in my family for being a flake because I would commit to going on things. And then, oh, fire, got to go. Can't, can't go anymore. And I wasn't making any money. And I, I got to a point where I was like, this was my dream job. This is all I ever wanted to do. I've made it part of my identity. People asked me who I was. I said, my name's Ryan. I'm a firefighter. It became my identity. So I realized that what this dream job had done to me was it was keeping me broke. It was taking away all of my life outside of that career. And it took away my identity. I had got to a point in my 20s where I did not know who I was outside of being a firefighter. And if someone took it from me, it would be like they took my soul out of my body. Mm-hmm. That was my experience with a dream job. And you had a really interesting take. I think you said dream jobs don't exist. Yeah. So, um, anti-career coach has something trademarked. I just did a podcast with her. I think she says dream jobs don't exist. So I do want to credit oh, it was her. her who said that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I do really try to amplify that for her. Cause I think she's so soft on. Um, so yeah. So I like, 
I'm like a huge yogi, actually. Like I do a lot of hot yoga and um, this yeah. will make sense in a second. And um, I, uh, I'm certified to teach, but I, I don't, I don't teach um, like for money or anything like that. It's just something that I really mm-hmm. love to do deep in my practice, yada, yada. But to, like how I was trained by my master teachers is like this whole philosophy of when you attach your, your sense of self or, or, you know, self-worth, whatever you want to call it to an external thing always is what breeds suffering. So if you want to get like super crazy with it, it's like, Mm. like you're not a man, like you're not even like, you're just like part of, of whatever this is in life, you know? So it's like, that's like super crazy and like woo woo. Right. But like looking at a more Mm. digestible way to talk about it, it's like when when we're encouraged to look at, I'm a firefighter and like, that's who I am. And like, that's what you're talking about all day. That's how you identify. That's how you, you know, structure your whole life. There will become suffering in that because you cannot control all of it. You just can't. Right. So some of the dream job stuff is super fulfilling and exciting. I think a huge criticism that I get with this whole like lazy girl job ethos that I've built is like, Oh, but if I go into something that I don't truly love, I could get bored. Great. So like the whole point of a job is a transaction to, re- to receive more resources to go create a higher purpose or a higher participation in, in your community elsewhere. Right. So like how I look at it is like, yeah, I'm a TikToker or whatever it is, but it's like, I got to like last summer, like I launched a scholarship for, to bring someone to college. I actually got to help out. Get with out. That a when did bit. you do that? Last summer, like April, May, I want to say. That's really rad. Do you want to take a, a hot sec to shout it out? Is it still active? It's not. We're not doing it this year. We're going to do oh, okay. um, like a retreat kind of thing this year, this summer. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. But I try to do something to like give back to a certain extent every mm-hmm. summer. So that's going to be like my goal with this, right? So it's like, if you're looking at it, it's like, oh, the first dimension of it is like, I'm a TikToker, right? But it's like, I don't really assign that. It's like, what what else do I really care about? And it's like creating other opportunities for other people, inspiring people, like all those other more like cheesy things, but still everyone loves that stuff. So it's like, how can you find something that creates, that gives you the resources you need to go do that other thing? Because if you keep looking for your own sense of happiness, sense of being, whatever it is in your job, you will eventually be a proponent to exploitation in some way, some way. I think there's something to that. Um, it's it's sort of an oath of fealty that you take. And that's what happened with me in fire. There was such a heavy emphasis on duty and my loyalty to the department and proving that I deserved to be there, that it the costs creep up on you. And you yeah. don't realize until you, things really fall apart, you realize, oh my gosh, I don't have friends anymore. Mm-hmm. Why not? Because I haven't seen them in six months. My answer to every invite is no. Um, you said a few really interesting things. I love how much value you pack into everything you say. Um, there's a couple of ways I want to go with this. Let's start from the beginning. Gab, what is the purpose of a job? Like fundamentally, when we all start as we're animals on this planet, we're the only ones who pay rent to live here, but that's another discussion. We're both animals on this planet. What mm-hmm. are we getting when we go to an employer and say, hey, I'm going to come spend eight hours a day doing whatever you tell me to do in exchange for money? Like, what's the purpose of that? Yeah. So how I envision a job, which people are going to get super crazy, but the the economy as a whole is perpetuated on labor and resources. So I think a lot of people think it's money, but if it was money, why would Jeff Bezos do some of the stuff that's not really income generating with his own money? Like sometimes he buys the Seattle times, right? And that's probably not like super income generating for him, 
But mm-hmm. that labor at that job at that company allows him to further. Well, when he was the CEO of Amazon, still he can further the propaganda that he's trying to push with his local employees that mm-hmm. live in the surrounding area, right? So it's like it's always like a resource game. So taking that's kind of like a macroeconomic aspect to it. So like boiling it down, right? Like I truly believe the economy is just propped up on all these like little instances of a job. And so a job for me, how I define it is truly just a transaction of, of your resources, whether it be expertise, more of a soft uh, commodity or, you know, something that's very hard and definitive like labor um, or mm-hmm. physical labor and something like that for some type of money value in it. And so I really don't look at it as like this soul searching thing anymore, just because I've gone that route. I failed very quickly got a concussion and I was like, wow, like I really hate this. And I was able to like play the tape on it of what that would look like in 40 years. And I was like, that seems really scary, really scary. What what job was that? I was um, a solutions consultant. So it's like a really fancy word to be like the jack of all trades. That's a very client facing role. That sounds very McKinsey-esque to me. Yeah. Um, There's an old saying that if you, if you ask a a consultant what they do for a living, you'll listen for an hour and still have no idea what they do. Uh, (laughs) You know? Um, So, I mean, can you give us any specifics? Yeah. What does a day in the life look like? Yeah. Yeah. So I worked with, um, national restaurant brands that like we all know today. And so I would be in charge of NRA, as I like to say, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, I just would build dude, like, like, think about this. Like you probably have the Starbucks app. It probably like yells at you every once in a while you get like a badge notification. And then sometimes you go in and you get your like Starbucks app scanned and then all connects and all that stuff. Like I used to set that up for big brands. That's nice. At personal level, I don't support union busters. Um, Mm -hmm. I stopped giving Starbucks my, my business a while ago, particularly because of the inexcusable conduct of Howard Schultz, his smugness, his disregard for federal law and Starbucks apparent willingness to just crush its workers with an iron boot. Um, Mm. This is not defamation. This is my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, no. So all that to say, it sounds like you, you were figuring out ways to help them connect more with their consumers. Yeah. Right. But like, that's such a nice way to put it. Like I was working 10 ish hours a day to like make, you know, percent, like little tiny percent, you know, profits, you know, like how can we maximize like our double points day? And like, it was, it was so soul sucking. It was ridiculous. And so I learned a lot at that job, like no discredit to, to that job at all. Cause I learned so much of like what I, I am good at, what I'm good at under pressure and what I don't like, like there's still beauty in, in misery. Um, I, I do think that it's, it's somewhat important in, in your coming of age. I think it's important, but I was looking at that, you know, and I I thought that that was my dream job. I really did. Like I went to school and I was like, I want to, you know, work on like the latest and greatest tools. Like one day I want to work for like a fang company. Like I really wanted to do the whole like product manager Mm -hmm. at Google route. And I'm sure if I stuck to it, I would be doing that right now. Like I have no, um, like lack of confidence in me and my ability to do things, but it's like, I just, I really played the tape on it. And I was like, there's really not a lot of return on my investment here. There's really not because it's like, I'm so scared of, cause I started in 2019. So you have to think about like seven months in, we were like working from home and like pretending, mm-hmm. you know, if we go down a closure, like what that would look like if our systems could handle, like we were doing like fire drills almost of like what this would look like. And then it happened, whatever that was like March 17th or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so at my annual raise, they told in my annual performance review, like there was no raises available. So in my mind, I'm like, why, then why are we doing a performance review? Like, that's it. That's like there's the much, there's yeah. not much to talk about. And then I was like, that's crazy. Then I moved to another company, found my quote unquote easy girl job. Didn't have like a marketing term for it yet. And same thing happened. And I was like, I'm not doing this a third time. Like this is, that would be ridiculous of me to do this a third time. Right. So that's kind of, Fool I guess, what really... shame on you. Fool me twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not shame on me this time. Like this is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I saw the pattern and I was like, well, there has to be a different way to create some type of impact in the world. And so that's where I just started. I just started rambling about this stuff on, on TikTok, very on brand for me two years ago. And like, I've been able to create whatever this is. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's hard to explain. Um, it, it seems you're just being you and you've monetized your own individual passions, you know, uh, God, where do I even start? You say a lot that I like, uh, you've gotten some criticism. Some opponents say you're a hypocrite. Uh, Mm -hmm. they say you're a hypocrite because they think you're telling people don't work hard don't um, put in long hours. But at the same time, here you are, you're an entrepreneur, you're a successful influencer, and you work very hard. I know for a fact you work very hard, Gab. I mean, is that hypocritical that you're telling people have a lazy girl job, yet you work hard? Are you not practicing what you preach? I think that question is so key too, because that one is very hard for me at scale to say to my audience, I try to, but that one just doesn't go as viral, unfortunately. So for me, it's always like, if you have gas in the tank, if if there's something in you in your heart, or that makes logistical sense for you right now to turn on that hustle mode, that hustle switch that we all have and are celebrated to do, it, it ought to be either for a project that will create some type of intrinsic reward down the line, right? Like, through learning, you know, upskilling, learning new things mm-hmm. that you can then leverage for another opportunity for yourself and or you're reaping the financial benefits because dang it, like your time is so precious. It really is. And so like being really, really discerning of where it's going is so important before we turn on that hustle, hustle switch because it's not like... I th- I've been in that hustle switch trap where you're trying to make it work when staying loyal to a company and you tell yourself at the end of the day, every day that it's, it's going to be a different story tomorrow. And it's not. Yeah. And that's why my messaging is super jarring. And like, um, I try to be kind of clickbaity sometimes with my messaging to get to really disrupt like a pattern people are in. Cause I know what it feels like. Yeah. Um, did you have a point in your life where you realized you were in, you call it a pattern. Uh, you also called it like hustle mode. Uh, yeah. did you find yourself in this? Wow. Every day is the same and it's not going to change pattern. Yeah. When I started like regular, I'm not a crier, which like, no, sh- I mean, now I, I cry a lot, but when I was in my like robotic corporate mode, um, I started crying like pretty regularly at the end of the day. And I was like, Oh, like, that's crazy. Like, that's really not okay. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what job title you have crying regularly at the end of your job. There's not, there's no price tag to that. Like, that's crazy. So yeah. I think that was like the, the first thing. And toll. then yeah. the mental health toll, I guess you had to put it in that regard. And then when I started to realize, like, looking at the people around me and who had like a say almost on my next career rung ladder that I'm supposed to be achieving to, I couldn't really trust them or... um I respected them. I don't want to come off like I didn't respect them, but it was almost like it was scary that I had to put my whole financial and like professional career in, 
in their hands. Like it was very like um, unnerving for me almost. Yeah, I can see that because one thing that, you know, I, I'm so sorry, Gab, let me just quick pause. Drew, can you hear me? You're good. Drew, are you with us? Might have lost him. Hey, man, I noticed my little mic here was flashing red for a hot second instead of green. Um, did we lose my audio for a minute? I switched it back to green. Okay. Uh, Gab has said some really awesome stuff. So let's, if, if the mic cut out, we'll figure something out. Um, anyway, sorry, let's get back to it. All right. Hey, I know we have a rule against editing and stuff. Let's, let's cut that little part out. Cause there's absolutely zero value in it whatsoever. Let's go back to where we were. Um, hold on. So this is a cut Gab. You had just talked about not trusting. Oh, okay. So we're, we're going to pick up here, Drew. Sorry about that, bro. I thought I lost the sound for a minute. Okay. Where were we? All right. So it's funny you say that because I get a lot of criticism for saying things like your employer doesn't care about you and mm -hmm. HR doesn't care about you. The former got me in a lot of trouble on the Dr. Phil show. He put that up on a big screen of me saying your employer doesn't care about you. And he looked at me in his classic Dr. Phil drawl and said, Ryan, is it fair to say that all employers don't care about you? And it's like, obviously, I'm not saying all employers, but the point is your employer is trying to run a business. They're, mm -hmm. they're trying to have a business that will exist in one, two, three, four, five years. And they're watching the bottom line and your hopes, your dreams, your mental health is not really part of that equation. You making it to the next level up is not part of that equation. And you better believe that your supervisor, no matter how kind they are, they have a career path they're following too. And if given the choice between burning time in their day to advance you to the next level or doing what they need to do to get to their next level, guess which one they're going to choose. And it's not because they're bad. These are rational decisions. Yeah. It is rational to expect that in a fight between you and the employer, HR is going to choose the employer's side. They're going to throw you under the bus because that is their employer. If they don't do that, guess what? They're going to be fired along with you. It's, it's insane to expect HR to sacrifice themselves for you. That is insane, unreasonable thinking. Mm -hmm. It's also insane to think that your manager is some kind of, I want to say like father or parent figure or like your high school counselor. I think that's one problem that we have with the way we raise people in America is we raise them in these institutions like public schools where you're supposed to like look up to these authority figures in these very structured programs and they're supposed to take care of you and look out for you. And you almost develop this sense of, Ooh, everyone above me is going to look out for me if I just work hard and do what they say all the time. And that is simply not true. It's simply not true. And I think what we've accidentally done is we've created a generation of people who are trying to force themselves into that corporate environment. They're trying to force themselves into, okay, Monday through Friday, everyone says nine to five. It's not nine to five. It's eight to five. Everyone with a job knows that's what it really is. It's eight to five. Really, it's eight to six. You eight know, to six. Monday through Friday, lunch. eight to six. Monitor your email on the weekend just in case there's an emergency. Yeah, no lunch. Eat at your desk. Um, and what do you do? I do fucking data entry, analytic, corporate, shareholder value, who's he, what's he? It doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to get laid off at the end of the year anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've raised a generation to put them in that box. And the whole time along the way, we've we've taught 
children who are now adults to crave uh, institutional approval, craving, mm-hmm. you know, awards, badges, certifications. For what? I mean, if you're a welder and you're like, hey, I got my 3000 meter, I don't know if this is real, I'm making something up, 3000 meter deep dive welding certificate. That's fantastic. That certifies that you've learned a real skill that you can use and it's a trade. Awesome. Good for you. But like we see these bullshit little badges on LinkedIn. I think you called these out not too long ago. Was that you? You called them these little bullshit NFTs. Like LinkedIn is now handing out badges where if you respond to prompts, you'll be an expert. We've the when I see people like that, I want to know what you think, but it's my when I see people like that, I almost see a someone trapped in high school. They're mm-hmm. so busy trying to get an A. They're trying to show their employer, look, I'm your star student. I'm your star student. Are you going to take care of me? I'm your star student. Like you're stuck in a child's mentality at that point. Um, it is not your manager's job to take care of you. It's their job to manage you. And those bullshit little awards you get on LinkedIn, they don't mean anything. I mean, but people ascribe so much value to them. I mean, am I out of line? Do do I just have such different values from these people that I can't comprehend and I'm being unfair? Was there a failure when we brought these people up? What do you think? Because you trashed LinkedIn too. I'm not the only guy here trashing LinkedIn. You know what's crazy too? LinkedIn just reached out after that story to work together. (laughs) Are they high? (laughs) <laughs> first of all i don't know if you remember at the end of the story i was like if i work with linkedin just know like i got a big bag like just ignore it but yeah i was like oh, if you see me God. promoting just know i got a big bag that's so funny i love how honest you are <laughs> i was like just double tap and scroll away mind your business i was thinking that the other day i have a, a vendor that i'm currently really unhappy with for managing my law firm i'm not going to mention any names but in my head i was like you know what if they paid me enough i'll go ahead and do a little speaking tour and say they're the best crm in the world why it's not their crm is fine they just have shitty customer service it's the only real problem they have you know i thought if pay me enough i might endorse you i know no it's like so i mean going back to what you're saying though it's like that's why i talk so much about decentering the nine to five i think people think that i'm literally telling people to quit their jobs and like typically quitting quitting your job like actually getting to the point where you have to quit your job is honestly my least favorite scenario that you have to go down because it's such a risk on the employer um or sorry on the employee i was gonna say yeah okay sorry no one cares about the other side i mean it's a risk on both sides but it's like really with the employee like it's such a risk because it's like yeah that's a whole other conversation but just switching back to what i was saying like i'm i'm not talking about like flipping your boss off in a zoom meeting and like closing and leaving like i'm really not talking about that i'm talking about these other things where it's like when we of course, these people are going to cling on to LinkedIn badges and, and what their boss says in their latest and greatest one-on-one. Of course, they're going to because we literally teach them from when they're five to sit in preschool and you know have a, a nice charismatic teacher tell us to wait in line until it's our turn and you know try to please them and stuff. Which like school is great. Like school is great. I'm not like anti-school or anything like that. But it, of course, it primes us. Like the other side of the coin of this is like it primes us to what we do in these corporate experiences. And so that's why I swing, like not to repeat myself, but that's why I swing so extreme one way. Cause I'm just trying to get them in the middle. Cause they're so You're extreme. Trying to on wake the other people side. Up. I, I yeah. understand there's so much um, there's so much counterbalance. There's so much resistance to what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. That if you just say the neutral, like, Hey, I think you and I both value hard work. 
Mm-hmm. I do. I value hard work. I, yeah. and, and let's be very clear. I think you should work hard. I think you should bust your ass, not because hard work is valuable in itself. In fact, it's, it's a liability. Um, yeah. you should, what I mean when I say you should work hard and take pride in it is there is a certain inner strength that comes when we do hard things. If, mm-hmm. if you're privileged enough to be able to exercise, you absolutely should because mm-hmm. making your body do hard things makes other things easier. Uh, likewise, if you have a dream, you know, your, your time here is limited and the yeah. harder you work at that dream, the more likely it will come true. And you should start as soon as you can and you should hit it as hard as you can because maybe you'll get lucky and it'll take off the first time, but you'll probably, you know, if your dreams to be an artist, you'll probably make a hundred paintings that no one gives a shit about. And then your hundred and first painting, all that experience from the hundred paintings before it led to this one beautiful moment. And everyone thinks you're this amazing overnight success when really it was all the hundred paintings that sucked before then where you slowly built up. That is why I preach about hard work. I don't care about shareholder value. I don't care if BlackRock gets a couple points higher on its dividend sheet. I don't care because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't. But, but you know, the next great product or the next great piece of art can actually impact the world in a big way. And you as a person, instead of chasing these little gold stars on LinkedIn that don't mean anything, you can have something you point to and say, that's me. I left a piece of myself here. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly what you said too, it's like what you were saying about, you know, privilege and, you know, if if you do want to create something great in life, like there ought to be some hard work in that most hard, mostly hard work. And so I also, when we don't operate on our privilege, I've had a mentor tell me that that's actually a paradox. Like if you don't actually use the privilege that you're working towards, it's, it's a pair, like, why are you, it's very similar to like, say you can financially, you know, buy a house and create that type of, of security in your family, but you don't do it because other people can't buy a house. That's crazy. You know? So it's like, there's a certain like individuality you need to have with yourself, but you, you don't need to be exploited on the way there. And so I think mm-hmm. with what some really good rock stars in my community are, are really into me one day changing the the power dynamic. So the employee has the power. And I, what I always want to say to them, but I don't want to like hurt their feelings is that it will never, ever, ever happen. There's always a level of exploitation because they are paying you. Like there's this candle, there's this carrot that's dangled over you as an employee. So there's never, ever going to be this like power level switch unless we create this like French revolution, you know, type of thing. But I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. I like to think there's steps we can take before that. I think the, 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 by the way, you know, the, the, the history of France is incredible. Uh, It's also quite jarring. uh, If you Mm -hmm. read uh, about the French revolution, if you listen about it on a podcast, it might freak you out. The parallels between then and now they become a little more glaring. I just did a sub stack on that last week. Oh, I got to watch that. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I got to take a look at that. It's it's really jarring um, mm-hmm. because what we are in now, it's very much a tale of two cities. It's very Dickensian, yeah. I think, where it is the greatest time to be alive if you are rich. But we are seeing an erosion of quality of life for working class people. And what sucks is we have a lot of influencers who make a lot of money preaching entrepreneurship or whatever. And they say, well, no, it's the best time to be alive. Don't you realize how good you have it? I don't like the implication. The implication is, oh, if you think your life sucks, it's just because you suck and it's your fault. 
that that statement to me is coming from someone who is refusing to recognize their privilege. And I'm not saying, oh, if you're privileged, your hard work doesn't matter or you're less valuable. I'm saying you mm -hmm. need to recognize that it is not a level playing field. America yeah. is a land of opportunity for some, but not all. We'd like to fix that one day. Um, and just because someone works really hard doesn't mean that they're going to be okay. Exhibit yeah. A, the landscaper in your neighborhood, they don't have a pension coming to them. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not their fault. There's, there's some people who are so quick to judge that person and say, oh, they're a landscaper because they're lazy or they're stupid. I was a landscaper and I take offense to that. I'm not lazy. I'm not stupid. I applied to 13 law schools. I quit my dream job. I didn't get into any law schools. I don't know why I didn't get into any law schools. And, and I couldn't find a job while I tried to take the LSAT again and do better. I was just, it was, it, I was making the most of my situation. And I got to tell you, I worked really hard as a landscaper. It was really hard work. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I really resent when we look down on certain jobs and look down on people who say, dude, I'm exhausted. I'm too tired. You keep telling me to go hustle and get a side hustle and build my dream and work harder. I just spent 12 hours in the sun bent over digging with a shovel. Like what more do you expect from me? I think, I think that this pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, which is this mythology we have in America that is cool. I think it's noble when you do that, but unfairly applying it to every person's situation. It's almost glorified that exploit exploitation you're talking about, mm -hmm. because if we keep that landscaper too tired to put their head up out of water and go, Oh my God, like what is happening with my time here? If we make them so they just earn just enough to live, but not quite. And they need government assistance. They never have the resources to push back on you. We've created a system where it feels like feudalism all over again. And the gardener, I think is an extreme example. There's a lot of people where they're so busy, just treading water financially, just trying to keep the job they have, they never have the bandwidth to explore anything else that could create a lot of value. And that is my long meandering way of saying, it sounds like you're being extreme to try to shake people out of that as best as you can. And mm -hmm. you're not going to catch their attention with, Hey, you should um, work a little less hard so that you can, you know, have some energy at the end of the day to do X. That's not going to catch anyone's attention. But I think if you scream, you know, you need to be a lazy girl because fuck the system. At, at least you got their attention. Mm. Yeah, it's um, I get asked a lot to, you know, open the hood on on what I do in my business. And mm -hmm. I want to so bad, but I don't want to do the thing that you're saying right now. I do not want to sell this dream of like, just be just be an online business owner. Have you guys ever thought of setting up a click funnel? Like, I don't want to do that either because that's insanity, right? Like not everyone is comfortable in a camera. Not everyone can even get access to a phone and be able to do all this stuff. Like that's just crazy to think about. So that's why I've really never done that. I'm not gatekeeping. There's nothing like mm -hmm. that. I don't think I have a keys to a castle that like no one else can enter. I don't think that either, but it's like, that's why I've been so, um, I'm very careful about how I talk about where, where your attention should go one, because I'm blessed with 
a lot of people that trust what I'm saying and I don't want to sell them a dream either. Mm -hmm. I'm really just trying to boil down the basics of what they can control, which is like the energy, the mental energy that you're putting in your job and your time. Right. So those Mm -hmm. are the two things you can control if you're looking at like you're at a remote, you know, setup or whatever. And, you know, looking around at everything that you can control, that's kind of really it. You can't control who emails you. You can't control like what your boss cares about today. You can't control about like that new project that you have to ship, you know, early just so that the client's super excited this week about it. Like all that Mm -hmm. stuff you can't control. So the smallest time, even if you only have 30 minutes to step, like to just step out of, of this, this thing that's making you more and more, um, I don't want to say all jobs are bad, but it's like this thing that's like sucking all of this out of you, this time, this energy, even if I can only give you 30 minutes, that's great. But I think that there's a lot of beauty that can be created in just that. And maybe just today, it's like thinking about something else that you can do. Maybe tomorrow it's trying to find access to, you know, a printer to be able to like print out resumes for this new job that you want to go to. Like if it's just little incremental steps, I think that's way more beautiful than the like slaving away and, and trying to make your boss happy, trying to make everyone else happy for maybe a yeah. 2% raise next year. Like, I just think that's insanity sometimes. You brought up a really great point. This There's a lot of people grinding. I remember when I, I had a corporate job for like nine months and I was in a big cubicle farm and it was as soul sucking as you might think. I became a very uh, draining person to be around. I really lost hope in that job. This was, I, I was really lost when I didn't get into law school the first round. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I guess law school is not going to happen because I didn't get into any the first time. Um, But maybe if I just work really hard, I'll have a breakthrough. Maybe if I make enough sales, if I win this much business for for my my employer that I'll make six figures and everything will be okay. I think I was hoping for a big break. Yeah. Yeah. But you're saying don't chase that big break. Instead, we need to look at really small steps. And I think it goes back to what we were saying before about why we value hard work, like the painter, where their first hundred paintings, no one cares about them. The hundred and first painting is the one that builds a name for them. Uh, Overnight success, a big breakthrough, a lucky break, extremely unlikely that is going to happen for you. And it's infinitely less likely if you are not taking daily, small, incremental steps to make something like that happen. It sounds like you're selling a more realistic approach. Yeah, like I always exactly, and that's a good way to put it because I always get criticized that I'm I'm selling this other crazy unrealistic expectation of like not work like you work for two hours and then all your dreams come true, and that's not it either. But I think I, I think to tell employees time and time again, if you just take on this new growth opportunity, if you just take on this new stretch project, you will get a promotion down the line, or you will get that thing that we know that you really want, is sometimes great when like there's some really great management. I think that's super mm-hmm. great. Um, Great managers are hard to find. Okay, one second. Um, Anyways, but it's like, yeah, it's like if if you have a great manager and and you find your work fulfilling, then you won. I'm not talking to you and maybe you just don't need to follow my content, but I'm talking to the, I'm talking to a very specific type of, of situation. And so I think sometimes I look at stuff, you know, like I used, I was an account manager for a little bit and I look at what they were doing there and it was like oh if you work really hard then you can become like a senior account manager and that was supposed mm. to be exciting. But when i thought about that i'm like what, but what does that actually like mean though more money 
but it didn't. I it took me a long time to actually get like a true like raise because what they do, what's very common right now, Ryan. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's like the quiet hiring aspect of things. So it's like we don't have the budget to give you the promotion right now. It probably won't happen until next year. So why don't we give you the responsibilities now so you can start to step into that role? And when we get a budget next year, we can give that to you. There's nothing in writing that guarantees any That's of that. That's absolutely not how that works. And um, the audacity of some employers, like you would never walk into a grocery store and grab 20 apples and say, hey, I don't have the budget for 20. I got the, but I'm going to take 20 to make sure I can handle it. And I'm going to pay you for 10 right now. Th- that is exactly the same. There's no difference in those scenarios. And, I, and anyone yeah. who says otherwise can come at me. <laughs> um, and and it, it, I think it stands to reason that if someone is threatened or upset by the message you're saying, that basically you're, you're the, the prophet of quiet quitting. I think you're the front runner of, of the quiet quitting lifestyle. If someone's offended or threatened by what you're saying, then you are not their target audience. If someone really thinks, no, I love ABC Corporation. It's the best. They gave me a flask. They gave me a 1% raise. My boss called me a good boy and put a gold sticker on my fucking forehead. Good for you, buddy. I'm glad it's going great. Wonderful. We're talking to people who've been working at Enterprise fucking rental car for 20 years and life's not getting better. And they're trying everything that they've been told they need to do. And they feel like they're the idiot. And they're not. They're just putting their energy in the wrong place. And we're not saying fuck enterprise, rent a car, sabotage your employer. We're saying maybe don't try to rent an extra four premium SUVs that month. Maybe it doesn't really matter so much. And instead of killing yourself to try to move a little extra cars or go up a couple data points, do the job you're hired to do. And then go home and by all means, whip out an Excel sheet and make a break even analysis for that pottery business you always wanted to do. Because frankly, I think America as a country gets more value from you as a citizen pursuing a project you're genuinely interested in. Honestly, your indie pottery shop will create more value for your community than enterprise running out a couple more Suburbans that month. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I don't know why I chose enterprise for that example. I have no problems with them. I rented a car from them. It was very convenient. It was lovely. (laughs) You know, Um, well, I guess I got a couple more questions for you, Gab. I want to know, like what, what's next for you? Like what is important to you? What are your values and what are you hoping that the next couple of years looks like for you? Because you're embracing the lazy girl mentality. So I want to see where it leads because we can't trash the corporate ladder and say it's a dead end without pointing out if maybe what we're promoting is a dead end. Oh, I love that question. So what I'm doing right now is I want to create more transparency in the job search market in a way that's that's never happened before. My only stuff that I... This is crazy to say on record, but actually I think this would be really interesting for me to watch in three years. So that's why I'll say it right now. The, the part that's scaring me about this is this would be like a, um, a glass door competitor and it would almost be like creating a corporation to be corporations. And do I want to create that? Right. So that's something that sometimes when I, I, I delve into my, my startups and, and start to scale them, like what I'm really tasting right now, it's like, it gets scary because I I don't want to be a CEO of a a giant corporation right now today who I am. So Mm -hmm. I look at that and sometimes it's scary because it it, it does kind of feel like um, I'm creating more of the problem almost. But again, it's like thinking to that. So I want to be able to create that where it's like to put it in very like TLDR format. It's a way to 
scan if something's a lazy girl job or not. I'll leave it at that. So it's it's able and right and people look at well oh there's Glassdoor. Uh, I've been asked by employers to put a good rating on Glassdoor because we had a lot of bad ratings and like there's plenty of stories about that and you know a lot about employers you know changing any type of data to to paint a narrative. So mm -hmm. um. We know I've that, had, right? I've and dealt so, with employers offering gift cards to employees if they left a, a good review on Glassdoor. Right, exactly. So it's like we've mm -hmm. seen stuff like that. And Glassdoor has a very clear policy that they do not tolerate that. They do take measures in their own hands. But again, it's very hard to track. They don't care. They have to say that. They don't care. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, someone had to say it. So it's like... You know, so, th so there's certain stuff like that where I actually want to use like the, the influence and the attention that I have to be able to create better um, outcomes in the future. That's what my legacy is. Another way that I, I do view things, which is like super crazy and I'm totally not like a crypto grifter that's trying to like promote anything right now, but there's this, this technology on the web, on the blockchain that's called a DAO. Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And so it's a way to run a company on a blockchain and it would create more transparency in every single way. Like you would see exactly how people are paid, who has power in the company, like so many Ooh. different things. I think that if we found a way, technically you can create a DAO LLC right now in Wyoming. And I can't remember mm. what other state they can happen. The tech is just like not there. So it's like trying to, maybe that's not it, but looking at things in the future that I can actually like elevate and amplify to try to promote employ employers to hop onto. There's a like theme that. in what you're saying. And some of it seems very difficult, like the Adele, you know, I, I have trouble conceptualizing what that even is in my brain. Yeah. But, you know, the theme I heard across all this was transparency, transparency, transparency. You want people to have information. You want them to mm -hmm. know how a job pays, how an organization compensates its people, who has influence and authority, who has upward mobility in the organization and who is just a cog. Because every organization yeah. has cogs. There are, I admit, even in my own law firm, there are positions in my firm where there is no next step. It's you come here, you do this job, I'm going to pay you the best I can, but there is no next step from here. Um, mm -hmm. And there's other jobs where there are next steps. And I'm very transparent about that uh, with, with people who come. Like sometimes it's just, hey, I just need someone to answer the phone. Um, there's not a next step from here. But if you get into our legal secretary side, there's other things you can do that has a track. So it sounds like you're trying to do not quite a competitor to Glassdoor. I see what you're saying. But in a way, like a Yelp for businesses. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that a clunky, I, you should, I, man, have you talked to Hannah Williams at salary transparent street? I haven't. Her ears yeah, must be but... absolutely flaming. I've mentioned her twice now. I'm <laughs> fangirling over her work. Um, yeah, she's she's cool. done a great job getting that. Yeah. You're familiar getting a database of like median and average pay ranges across the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, if you two teamed up, that would be pretty impressive. I think. Yeah, it's like I'm I'm creating proprietary AI that would be able to have kind of all these tentacles out there that would be able to track like true employee attrition. So it would be able to track, mm. I can't explain how it does it, but like it would exactly know when employees leave and stuff like that. Instead of these like self-reported numbers oh, that we see over and over yeah. again. 
that yeah. uh, layoff trackers. Um, if you ever wanted to talk, I, I can show you some some resources where you can kind of see filings and you can see like which companies are hiring yes. quote unquote labor relations consultants. And if you don't mm -hmm. know what that is, that's a very fancy word for union buster. Um, and you can also look at EEOC and DOL databases and get an idea of who's being you know investigated or sued for labor violations. Right. You know, because you may go to a company thinking everything is dandy. Uh, and then you find out that for the last five years, they have consistently denied uh, executive positions to women. And the EEOC has been pursuing an action against them. If it, that you're not going to find that on Glassdoor, not necessarily. Yeah. Right. Wow. Right. So it's like being able to take, yeah, these really sensitive concepts that no one will create like a grading system for yet. Um, mm -hmm. And being able to articulate that very easy for people, because typically what I what I hear with my community is like, this is the timeline or the journey of like really rocking with me. It's like, you know, they've been following me for three months and they realize like, oh, I, I do. I am worth, you know, asking a few extra changes in my life. Like I can do that for myself and I can, you know, I can start to feel confident to maybe negotiate some changes in the workplace. Then six months down the line maybe it's not working out anymore. So then they realize, oh, I got to change jobs. But that's mm -hmm. very daunting. You know, like job hopping is it cool is. and fun and all that, but it's crazy. So it's like, I want to be able to to create this. Ex I want to create a better experience for that. It sounds like you're... Tr what you, me, and I'm going to mention her a third time. What you, me, and Hannah do is we're we're really just trying to put power back in the hands of workers. Yeah. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. That makes people who think the stock market is the economy uncomfortable because they're thinking, oh, my God, if the stock market goes down, that means the economy is bad, right? Not necessarily. I mean, usually they're correlated. But the fact of the matter is there, there is no economy without a strong working class. And there's not a strong working class without hope. And if you have a bunch of hopeless people who are perpetually exhausted they're not even quiet quitting. They're just so tired and so detached that even their best effort isn't worth anything anymore. So I think that both sides, even though they would have different reasons for agreeing, and the morality of those reasons is certainly up for debate. But if on the employer side, it says, hey, I can't, I can only beat people over the head with a stick so long before their labor is not even valuable anymore. I beat this mm -hmm. person to a pulp. Yeah. I've overworked them. I've stressed them out. And I've paid them so little that, you know, Susie just got evicted because I don't pay her enough to pay rent. And now she's on government assistance and she's floating from one shelter to the next. And, oh, my God, we've got an attendance issue now. That is going to affect your bottom line at scale. That is. You're going to have mistakes and you're going to have problems. And then on our side, it's, hey, Susie's working her ass off. Isn't it fair that she has a home and some basic security and medical care when she's sick and her water isn't full of poison? Isn't isn't that fair? Shouldn't the richest country of all time uh, be able to provide that for its citizens? I haven't heard a good answer as to why we shouldn't be able to do that. They say, oh, nothing's free. Yeah, no fucking shit. Nothing's free. But we already pay taxes. And maybe instead of using that tax revenue to bail out the airlines when they spent their profits on stock buybacks instead of reinvesting in their workers or using it for just BS little lobbying interests and we're going to research a brand new super missile and then abandon it after spending $100 million or whatever it is. Like, what if we just reinvested in our, our workers? We haven't really done that in a long time. And I think... 
I got some pushback on the Dr. Phil show, the CEO I was debating, he really thought that America was going to somehow lose in some future conflict with China if we promote this pro-worker ideology. I think that's a bit alarmist. I think it's kind of silly, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, wouldn't our nation be a more fearsome opponent if it had a thriving economy? Right. And, and just because we have a big stock market doesn't mean we have a thriving economy. Because a true thriving economy is uh, resilient under pressure, which our economy is not. We had one whiff of COVID back in March. And what did the economy, the stock market do instantly? It tanked. It bounced back because, you know, whatever. But the economy itself shuddered and ground to a halt. Businesses fell apart instantly. We need a resilient economy. And you will not have that if you have over 40% of your country living paycheck to paycheck. Kind of a dark way to wrap up this podcast. So let's <laughs> let's briefly end on a high note. I don't think it needs to get that far. I think we see some problems, but I think we can fix them. So Gab, in your words, what do you think needs to change to reverse the course we're on? Because right now, I think the problems are apparent. Home ownership seems out of reach. Um, workers are extremely unhappy at their jobs right now. Pay is not keeping up with cost of living. Uh, and people feel more detached from work than ever. I mean, that was a, a, a some research from Bamboo HR noted that people feel more detached than ever. So what is the solution? What do we need to change? Employers truly need to understand that they can't have their cake and eat it too, which is super hard to ever really enforce in the, in the system that we have today. A lot of people like to have their cake and eat it too, and, and a lot of systems here get to get to do that. Um, and what I mean in the specifics of, of working, we can't underpay, severely underpay workers, then also jack up their working hours and... Mm -hmm. It, like that has to go right. So, so what I think the harmonious future of this is is some type of flexible role in the future. I do think that the I keep saying nine to five, but I agree with you. Like it doesn't really exist anymore. Let's call it like eight to six p.m. That's you know, really Monday what it is. Friday, now. yeah. Usually half a day on Saturday in the morning. You know, checking stuff. Maybe Sunday mm -hmm. night when you have the the Sunday scaries. You're you're looking at your emails again. Yeah. Um, that whatever we want to call it. I do think that that will. I, we're this close to it imploding on itself and just with mm -hmm. so many things that you and I have both talked about. So it I feels think that delicate, it either looks doesn't like, it? Yeah. If, and it feels like arbitrary, some like, a, or not arbitrary, archaic a lot of the times too, mm -hmm. when I really think about it and where it comes from. So I, I think what the future looks like for any employer out there that, cause I do work with a lot of employers too, where, you know, they're, they're like, I want to get ahead of this. I want to be able to have like this great employee branding for the next you know, generation. They're super about what I'm talking about. Um, for them, it looks like some type of freelancing role. And I, it's hard for me to talk about freelancing sometimes because I know that people have a lot of fear of like creating an LLC and what that looks like and all the barriers to entry. LLCs get taxed more than S-corps and things like that. I totally yeah. understand. But it looks like some type of like hybrid role that's not hybrid as in like you go into the office once a week. It looks like that, right? So it's like we're going to pay someone 60K and it, and it costs 80K for them to live there. You do not get 40 hours of them. Like that has to become illegal mm -hmm. to a certain extent. And I think that there will be some type of shift in that where it's like, okay, if you want, to, if you want this meaningless job at 60K, the, the person's probably going to work 25 so that they can go do something else. Um, and have that flexibility because you don't get to have both yeah. at the same time. I think that we'll see a huge change in that. 
I think you're really on to something there because I have positions. Law clerks are a great example. Uh, law clerks at my office make 20 bucks an hour. The highest paid ever was 23 an hour because she'd been with us for a long time. But the expectation is that they're, they're just making a little extra money and gaining some experience in law school. And they're capped at 10 hours in a week. I mean... It sounds like you're saying that, look, if your job does not pay enough to live, then you lose the right to full-time availability because you got to give yeah. people space to do something else. You got to give them space to supplement that income. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And like you and I have had different conversations about this too, about our own employee culture. But for me, it's like, you know, if, if, if it's a 15 hour a week role and this is the budget for it, that's it. Like there's no, like, even if you do want to do extra work, like it's a really big conversation that we have to work through together to one, make sure that I have the budget and I'm not taking advantage of you. And like, but typically it's usually, no, it's like, it's like, this is the job scope and this is what it is. And like, I really don't want you to put all of your time into, into these separate tasks. I want you to go do something else. Or I want you to take this information and be able to go use that in something else that you're doing that you get to reap all the benefits. Mm -hmm. But I think that that needs to be more normalized. And so I think there will be this death of like what a full-time role looks like down the line in a more progressive wow. state. I think AI will perpetuate it a little bit, but I think it, it ought to serve, right? Cause you look at, I always forget how you pronounce them. Keynes, I want to say is like, that big philosopher, mm -hmm. economic guy, whatever you want to call him. Um, he predicted that there will only be 15 hours of meaningful work um, required at the state of the economy that we're at right now. And we're there, but we filled it up with meaningless work and meaningless projects and meaningless meetings. And we got to have you back. We got to talk about that. You're so <laughs> right. No, really, there's, there's a lot of performative labor that happens. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, the, the corporate conference where you don't, you're not there to make deals. You're just there because your employer had a ticket and it looks good to go. I mean, you're right. How there's so much bullshit work that, that doesn't need to happen, but we're so locked into this 40 hour week and this idea that you have to work 40 hours to be worth anything to a company. It's really my top producing associate. She, I don't think she works 40 hours a week. She certainly works hard, but she has a lot of flexibility by design. Because I know mm -hmm. that the more work-life balance she has, the better she performs. I'd rather have maybe five or six hours of solid work from her in a day than 10 hours of drudgery. Mm -hmm. And she recovered over $1.5 million for her clients just on her desk this year. She nailed it. She did fantastic. Um, I wish I could show that to other employers and be like, this is what happens when you take your boot off people's neck. Let them breathe and you're going to be amazed what they can do for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gab, it's been incredible having you on the show. If you're open to it, I'd like to have you back. I think we should talk more about the intersection of AI and labor. Um, yeah. It took this long conversation for me to really peel back the layers and learn that that's something you really know a lot about. So I want to talk about that with you again. But in the meantime, I think you're an immensely interesting person and people would be good to listen to what you have to say. So where can people find more of you? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the kind words. So TikTok's going to be at Gabrielle underscore underscore judge. Everything else is anti-work girl boss. I just launched my YouTube and my podcast. We do it every Tuesday at 9am. It goes live. So please take a, a look at that. There's also the Substack. If you have no idea where to start, pick one social media and touch my uh, link tree and it will show you all the places to start. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Gab. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Mm. I can't take no loss. I don't even know what it costs.